and defensive, you know, defensively, I mean, he's still performing at a high level. So that area I'm not concerned with. Offensively, he has a nice jump shot. He can get to the hoop. He can shoot a three, obviously not consistent, but that's also because he's not getting consistent minutes. But the one thing I do enjoy about Davion is you can never question his passion and his, you know, hardworking, um, you know, to be in the gym, watch film. Even if he doesn't perform well in the playoffs, it's like most people usually don't ball out in their first time in the playoffs. They usually, they don't. And then sometimes it takes another year. It's like I look at Brunson, just didn't have a great first playoff outing. And then look what he did last year. He carried the Mavs when Luka was out. They wouldn't be in the Western Conference Finals without him. But from a BS standpoint and dealing with all that craziness and all the stuff that he probably didn't ask for when he got the job, Jacques Vaughn definitely would get a, um, I guess you could say, empathetic um, vote from me. Well, I'm the biggest LeBron fan, so I'd love to have them both on uh, LeBron's team, but I do like Giannis, so honestly, I wouldn't mind if they were, if either or were on, were on uh, Giannis's team, but I would love to see Fox play with LeBron, to be honest. So ESPN posted this, and they were saying, they asked, who would win a one-on-one tournament? Just the all-star selections, though. Who do you guys think? A miracle in the desert! He's got the bucket! Purple laser beam. I'd rather get W's and get checks. Get checks. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Beam Unit. I am one of your co-hosts, Liz. And alongside me, we have Daly and Naima. Say what's up, guys. What's going on? What's up, y'all? Thanks for joining us. So we're going to talk about some different topics tonight. Um, not all basketball-related. Uh, obviously, we got to touch on the Super Bowl a little bit because that's obviously you know one of the biggest games of the year. Um, so first, I'm going to start off with uh, Chris Stapleton singing the national anthem. I guess not a lot of people know who Chris Stapleton is, and I'm actually really surprised by that. Um, so I enjoyed it thoroughly. I mean, I've seen the guy live, and he was just absolutely awesome. I mean, his voice is super authentic, and you know, I'm not really into that whole poppy like concert kind of thing. I just like when singers can actually sing live and enjoy it when they're actually, you know, doing it. Uh, their real voice. They're not doing all the, you know, monotone and all that weird stuff they got those pop singers doing. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I guess no one else really paid attention to that. But those are like the two things I pay attention to is the national anthem and the halftime show in the Super Bowl. So I uh, want to hear your guys' thoughts about that. I mean, um, I did see the Cheryl Lee Ralph when she was doing Lift Every Voice, which is the um, black National Anthem, that was really cool to see. Like, she was part of the Dream Girls. And also, I don't know if you guys guys saw, like, the um, the person who was doing the sign language. That was really cool to see, like, on the yeah. side. Like, she was very enthusiastic and everything. But Chris Stapleton, he had a pretty cool... That was, He had a great voice. Like, yeah, I was actually... <laughs> I didn't know him until that day <laughs> because I don't listen to... He does country music, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, he's a country artist, but the thing, like, I mean, I've grown up listening to country, but the thing with the country now, it's so, like, pop country, Mm -hmm, it's not really, mm -hmm. like, the old kind of, like, you know, fashion country, it's too poppy for me, but he, the way he sings and the songs he writes, 
he like I feel like it's older country the way he has it going. It's yeah. not all poppy and all you know, like authentic in- country, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So I thoroughly enjoy it, and like I said, he has a real like a real authentic voice, and just like it honestly puts you to sleep, like not like a bad way. Um, but it's just so like soothing and yeah. So when I saw him live, I was just like, so amazed. Cause like his voice literally sounds like it does all the time. Like it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had a great yeah. voice. Thinking. So yeah. Liz, are you saying that Chris Stapleton doesn't use autotune on his album? What's, what's going on? Heck no. He's not I'm like just... T-Pain or, you know what I mean? And I like T-Pain. Don't get me wrong, but you know, we all know T-Pain's voice. T-Pain can actually little... sing though. Like, have you guys seen his Twitch streams? Yeah, no, he can sing. Yeah. That's why I don't understand why he does his voice like that. But, you know, like, if you go to a pop concert, if you think about it, like a lot of these, you know, like singers, like they sing some parts, but like a lot of it's the voice and the voiceovers and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't I it's like nice to see them like do their sets and their dances and stuff. And yeah, that's entertaining. But like when I go to a concert, like I'm actually there to listen to them sing like that's at least me. So mm-hmm. I actually like when I go to a concert and they're like actually really singing what they're, you know, supposed to. So yeah, when I went to Chris Stapleton, he literally sang exactly like you'd hear on any, on his albums, on the radio, like everything you would just hear him singing. And then live, it was just all the same voice. It wasn't any different and he just sounded great. So when I saw that he was doing the national anthem, I was super stoked to watch that. Cause I just knew he was going to kill it. And he had people crying. That's what's insane. Like people, the players were crying on the sidelines. The coach of the Eagles was crying on the sidelines. So, I mean, you could tell, like, he he hit people in the fields with that one. So, I, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I, I did my research, like, seven minutes prior. I, I, I put it on YouTube, and I watched <laughs> your boy. And, uh, you know, I get it. I totally get it. He has that Nina Simone, Mary J. Blige, like, emotional quality to their voice, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but he actually does have a nice voice, but then he also has that emotional layer on top. So yeah. uh, I totally get it. Um, country's not my bag, but I will investigate. I you am, know what I mean? It, yeah, I am a pop girly. I love pop stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like, like everything. I but... like it too, but like concert-wise, <laughs> I just enjoy going to like, you know, like obviously, like I've been to some pop, you know, rap, like concerts and stuff like that, but I just like when it's like actually, you know, the person is actually singing and it's not like lip syncing or, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because that's, I feel like yeah. you have, like some of these pop stars, like it's so suspect because yeah, most, true. you never know if they're lip syncing or what, you know what I mean? Like obviously the lights and the, you know, fireworks that they do and all that stuff is exciting because it's like, ooh, it's flashy, catchy. But like when I like to go to a concert, I just like enjoying people hearing them sing and, you know, like listening to the authentic stuff. So that's why I enjoy Chris Stapleton. Um, yeah, and his wife actually tours with him a lot too. So them singing together cool. is just, yeah, it's super awesome. Like, they're and an awesome people couple. don't realize if you've lived long enough, you know, I don't mean to sound like the old fogey over here, but if you've gone to enough concerts, there's levels to live performance. And oh, I'm talking in sure. all genres. I've seen mm-hmm. DJs perform, um, MCs, rappers, uh, rock bands, and it's like, it doesn't matter what genre, there's levels to it. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. like, you have to be a really good front person uh, to really en- entertain the crowd. I've seen people with incredible songs, but they can't perform for crap. Yeah. They have no gravity. It's really interesting. It's a hard yeah, job. I, I mean, to entertain, it, it, it's it. a hard job. Yeah, because I like I if I'm gonna spend money to go to a show, I I must be entertained, and I must like I've gone to pretty like high scale concerts. Like I've been on 
on the Jay-Z, uh, went to the Jay-Z, Beyonce on the run tour. So that was like super high production. And then I've been to like the Kiki concert that was at Sac State, but like she still had a great voice. She can freaking sing. So no matter what it is, I'm like, I want to get my money's worth. That's for sure. I will say that, uh, and this is a sidebar because we have to go further into the question so we can open up the, open up the mics, but mm-hmm. I did see the On the Run tour um, mm-hmm. just on video, right? Oof. And uh, oh, no, production-wise, that black and white film that they kept oh, playing, my goodness. that was yes. dope. Like, I get it. You know what I mean? And then, you know, Beyonce, though, I, I think she's probably one of the best acts you could see that... Um, the thing she did at Coachella that's on Netflix, I think, Ooh. is incredible. Or I've is it on that, HBO like, Max? I'm not it, sure. It's but. on Netflix. I've watched that. I can't even count how many times I've watched that. <laughs> but yeah, she's an incredible performer. So speaking of marching bands, and I don't think UConn has one, but I feel like, Naima, you are the one-person marching band on Twitter for UConn. Yes, always. It's- uh, you know, we, we talk to each other in the DMs and we're like, okay, what are we going to ask guys? And, and Naima posts this question, um, <laughs> who was winning the national championship and why is it UConn? Is it really going to be UConn? What are they ranked? What's look, going on? Look, UConn, I, I don't look at the rankings because anything can happen in March Madness. However, UConn has made 15 straight Final Fours. They have not missed a Final Four since Maya Moore played at UConn, which is 2011. Um, that's when she, um, what is it called? Graduated. So it's pretty, it's pretty like, you're, if you bet UConn is going to make the Final Four, that bet is pretty safe. However, this season has been really tough. Um, injuries, like if you look at the UConn bench, we have about 60 points on the bench with with Paige Beckers on the bench, AZ Fudd on the bench. We got Ice on the bench. Like, it's it's very unfortunate um, what's happened with UConn because, like, it's just been injury after injury. Uh, I think they're ranked fifth on the AP poll um, behind South Carolina, Indiana, LSU, Utah. Oh, no, wait, they're, like, ranked seventh. I don't know. I don't look at that because in the end of the day, it's really about who wins a game. As for right now, the championship is South Carolina's to lose. I hate to say that, boo, South Carolina, but that's that that's what it looks like right now. They look like the team that's like unbeatable, even though you can't almost beat them with a, a starting five and barely. Um, so do UCLA. I, I have to add that. Yeah, exactly. UCLA almost beat them too. Like they were up like eleven points at one point, but you know. South Carolina remembered they were South Carolina. <laughs> but um honestly, until they're they're still unbeaten, I think they're like 24 and 0 one tonight as well. So and UConn has been kind of struggling since that South Carolina game. Like we lost back-to-back games for the first time since 1993. So, I mean, I will always say UConn will win it all until they don't. So, <laughs> So what's up with Coach Gino, though? I mean, he's getting up there. But have you seen interviews with him lately? Is he still sharp as a tech? What's going on? I mean, yeah. Like, I would – if I had a choice, I would have Gino forever. <laughs> like, he's that good of a coach. I wouldn't I wouldn't switch him out for anybody. No, he's an icon in himself in, exactly. in the coaching world. Exactly. So. exactly. Exactly. So I'm like – but I do think, like, especially after what happened this year, like, he was – 
his um he lost his mom and then he got sick pretty bad i think he might like i think next year might be his last year like that's what i feel like but i don't think um he's ready just to walk me all up so yeah i would love him still but i do i do think if we do if he does like um retire next year the coach that would take his place is probably a former player that's for sure. Like maybe the Princeton coach that almost actually beat UConn beginning of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up hiring a former coach. It's just player. tough. I feel bad for people who follow in exactly. iconic coaches' footsteps. Like look at John Shire with Duke. It's like ugh, it's yep. just not the same. And um, Never. It's especially hard. if they don't do well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. So what do you say to people who who kind of like – comment on on march madness and they're like it's not the nba and they they complain about the quality of basketball what do you say i mean it honestly march is march madness is so much fun like you need to just experience it one season and see why people rave about it right like at one point college basketball was more popular than the nba was the most popular um sport at one point obviously football will always be up there but um, it was like it was the NBA was competing with college, but you just need to you literally just need to watch it. It's so much fun. Not only just the men, like the women is pretty fun as well. People always talk about oh UConn is unbeatable. U- UConn hasn't won a championship since 2016 since Brianna Stewart <laughs> was with UConn. So no, there's been a lot of champions since then. Notre Dame's won twice. South Carolina has won twice. Baylor won once, and then Stanford won. <clears throat> year prior to um South Carolina. So yeah, um just watch it, just experience it, have fun with it. Don't like put these expectations because again you need to remember these are actually well, I don't want to ch- call them children, but they're like literally like 17, 18 year olds to like 21, 22 year olds. So just remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I think if you have an emotional connection to a college, it, yeah. it gets the stakes are higher for you. And for sure. Uh, in a one-game series, like you said, anything can happen. And then, yeah, seriously, March Madness brings in higher ratings on the NBA Finals. So yeah. people know, um, but I get it. I, I think some people just are they're used to the NBA product, and then they watch college, and, and yeah, you know, and that's where the comments come in. Oh, you know, Jalen Dern, he played in a conference versus a bunch of janitors, and you know, things like that. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, you should just. Just give it a chance. That's what I did, and I ended up loving it. Um, like when Maya Moore was playing at UConn, and that's that's honestly how I chose um, UConn, and then how I chose the Minnesota Lynx because the Minnesota Lynx ended up drafting Maya Moore. So yeah, Liberty. I, I'm jumping on that Liberty bandwagon for now. Yeah, that unless is- somebody signs um, Rui, and then then I'll vote, um, root for them as well. Um, yeah. I, I, is there like qualifiers? Because I don't know. I know there's Euro qualifiers. I don't know if they're doing like the Asian um, qualifiers for next year because I can't believe I'm ready. The Olympics is next year. So she might not. Usually um, WNBA players who play in the league um, and then there's like a year where they have to play qualifiers. They don't end up playing that year in the WNBA. So I guess we'll see. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. All right, so we're going to open up the mics. Um, if you want, guys want to speak, feel free to request. Uh, first question, and this is to everybody. 
And um, I'm, I'm asking this because this was a hot topic the other night in, a, in the other space that I'm involved with. Do we really need to be concerned about Davion? Um, I know where I stand. Where do you guys stand? What's up? I mean, I'll come in hot. I think absolutely not. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, the second-year player is being questioned the way he is. Um, he's not he's not getting consistent minutes and he's being asked to basically, you know, go out there and guard the, you know, other team's best, you know, offensive player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. The time I would say there would be reason to be concerned is when, you know, if he stays until his contract, you know, is up and he's not performing, obviously there would be a time for concern, but with the second year player, it happens. It struggles. Like I see the potential that he has and defensive, you know, defensively, I mean, he's still performing at a high level. So that area I'm not concerned with offensively. He has a nice jump shot. He can get to the hoop. He could shoot a three, obviously not consistent, but that's also because he's not getting consistent minutes. But the one thing I do enjoy about Davion is you can never question his passion and his, you know, hardworking, um, you know, to be in the gym, watch film, like they literally had to kick this man out of the gym last year because he wouldn't leave because he would kept, you know, practicing and doing whatever he was doing. So it's like, you guys can't question, you know, the fact that he's willing to learn and he's willing to work. So I would give him some time, just my perspective. I, you know, other people's opinions, of course, you know, if they think that there's concern, that's their opinion, but I just don't think it's fair to give that kind of opinion for a second year player. Um, who is obviously going, you know, for a limited role and they're, you know, learning from a new coaching staff and things like that. So for me personally, no, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned. And Shannon replied in the, uh, in the chat, she's like, you know, I'm not worried at all. He's only in his second year and plus the whole team is overachieving. Good point. I mean, if it's working, even though he's not playing necessarily consistently well, I don't want to mess with it. 100% Shannon. Ben, welcome, man. Thank you for coming through. Hey, Daly. Yeah, uh, it, it is a little bit concerning, but I'm not jumping off the deep end and saying that we need to, you know, bring somebody off the buyout market in there to replace him for the rest of the season or anything like that. Um, just, yeah, the the game style that we play, and he plays a lot of minutes with um, Demontis Sabonis uh, doing most of the creating. Um, so he's never going to fill up the stat sheet, but, um, yeah... I think we, something we need to take into account as well is we have got the all-star break coming up and um, I don't think Davion Mitchell's missed a game and you know, a lot of these guys seem like they're, they are looking a bit tired. So it will be interesting to see um, if he can pick it back up after the all-star break. But I do think if he does struggle down the stretch of the year um, and hopefully into the playoffs, um, it might be something we need to look at in the off-season. But at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm still riding with Davion for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and I, I I honestly think that even if he doesn't perform well in the playoffs, it's like most people usually don't ball out in their first time in the playoffs. They usually they don't. And then sometimes it takes another year. It's like I look at Brunson, who just didn't have a great first playoff outing, and then look what he did last year. He carried the Mavs when Luca was out. They wouldn't be in the Western Conference Finals without him. So it takes time. Tanvir, what's up? What's up, guys? No, no. Well, what do you think? Should we be uh, concerned about Davion or not? 
No, I don't think we need to be worried about Davion. Like Liz said, everything she said was all all pinpoint on target. Nothing I could add up. Just the way we've been playing has been nice. We're over doing what we can. Let's roll out this all-star break and get ready for the playoff push. That's all I got to say. Absolutely. Ben, what's up? Yeah, so and one, one other thing I just wanted to add on the end as well. Um, I do feel like this first half of the season, uh, Mike Brown was implementing a lot, a lot of things that uh, are a game plan to, that, that, that revolves around the starters. And I'm, I'm pretty intrigued to see in the second half of the season if he is going to start um, opening up a bit of his playbook and, and try to play to some of Davion's strengths and some of the backup strengths rather than just revolving around the starting five. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, the, the second half. Naima, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not worried about Davion. I appreciate his defense and everything. It does kind of get rough on offense when Fox gets um, subbed out. But, um, again, I would give him some time. We don't have to give up on him so quickly. So I'm okay with Davion and where the team is at right now. So honestly, we're, like you said, like we're overachieving. Like I never thought we were going to be in the third by all-star break. So I'm not worried. So Naima, what seed do you expect the Kings to finish with? Hmm. I think we'll probably finish like sixth, honestly. (laughs) <laughs> so um yeah like I don't and I don't hate that seed I just literally all I want is us to make the playoffs it does not matter to me and I, it kind of sucks that now um be, even being an eighth seed or sorry a seventh or eighth seed doesn't mean a guaranteed playoff spot because a play-in exists now which I don't agree with even though they were fun games when they first started but you know that's, I think we'll probably be a six seed. Well, now that we're in this position, right? Like, if yeah. we were a play-in team, then I'd be all for it. But now it's like, yeah, I don't want to get bounced out. I really want exactly. Exactly. a full playoff run. Liz, what do you think? Yeah, I think at least top six. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say which, but I think definitely a top six seed. Um, I just think it's a little too late for some of these teams. I mean, they're going to have to make a significant run, and I just don't think their rosters are strong enough and they, you know, have proven that they really can't stay healthy. Um, So, yeah, I think definitely a top six, as long as the Kings can stay healthy. And I mean, this team has proven over the season that, you know, we lose a couple games, but then we come back and we correct it, you know, pretty quickly and we go on a couple game win streak. So, you know, we haven't seen this team go on a, a major losing streak, obviously, you know, to start the season that I think that was the longest losing streak we had was the four game, you know, start the four game losing start. So, yeah, I have confidence as this team that it can at least um, finish in the top six. I'm hoping, you know, we could stay, you know, four and above, you know, because that would give us the home court um, advantage. And I just think that would just be like a huge thing for this team, and a huge thing for the city of Sacramento. Um, but, yeah, I would just be content with getting in the top six, not having to worry about the play-in and, uh, you know, doing this thing right and finally getting to the playoffs for after 16 years of uh, not being there. And that's my thing, though. It's like all these teams that may have new acquisitions from the trade deadline and the buyout market, it's like they're banking on older stars. And I'm not wishing injury on anybody, but they're also assuming that everyone's going to be healthy. And we know, unfortunately, that's not the case. 
you know what exactly I mean? So, I mean you have lebron who's you know wishy-washy anthony davis wishy-washy and you've seen it like obviously the lakers when they're fully healthy like last night they played great like i you know we can't deny that but if they don't stay fully healthy they're gonna have struggles the warriors you know with Steph being out for who knows how long, Zion's out for longer now. Um, so these teams, like Stephen Adams, obviously with the Grizzlies, like that's affected them a little bit. So if these teams can't stay healthy, I mean the Kings have a really great shot of, and we've stayed in the third seed, which is you know amazing for like over a month now. Like that's crazy to me. So obviously this team is you know going above expectations of what everyone had them going into the season, but it's just so nice to see it happened so quickly when no one else thought it would um so i just love that this team is not listening to the outside noise and just showing up to work and doing their thing and you know buying into mike brown's um system so yeah i'm just excited like i i have a feeling this is the turning point for this franchise and um i hope everyone else is excited as i am because i think it's something really special that's coming up keith welcome what's going on man all right hello everybody hold on i gotta take my retainers out Okay, well, hey, uh, good to hear from everybody. <laughs> Don't laugh at that, all right? It sucks. Um, you know, first of all, um, number one, um, I think uh, it's great that we finally that this team finally got to the All Star break. Um, I do think that there's been so much craziness the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's amazing if you look back on it now, just all the hot button takes and everything. The Kings are still in the third seed. After everything that has transpired, after everything that has gone on, the Kings are still in the third seed, still in prime position, obviously, to break that playoff streak, which I'm fully confident will be broken, like all of us are. Um, you know, it, it's funny. You bring up the the, the back end of the stretch, and, and I know I know Chase is actually um, in the chat. And I thought Chase did probably the, the smartest thing that any fan has done to kind of outline – what this is going to look like for the Kings. Uh, Chase color marked every single game left on the schedule. And I think if I'm wrong, the color yellow were like 50, 50 games where they were like a toss up. The Kings could win. The Kings could lose. Uh, I believe green was like the surefire wins that should be there. Um, and I think blue might've been the ones that we weren't favored whatever the case may be. Chase can correct me afterwards, but um a majority of those games were toss-up games in the yellow. Uh, and I think that's an interesting concept because if you really look at what the Kings have done so far this year, yeah, the Kings have been great, um, especially in crunch time um, for the most part. Yeah, they've let some games get away, but the Kings have done an excellent job of winning those 50-50 games, um, which came down primarily in the first half of the season just to the last five, six, seven minutes of the fourth quarter. And so – it's going to be interesting to see if this team, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, can come out of this all-star break and continue to rack up those wins uh, on those 50-50 games. I think that's very, very key. You know, uh, Daly, you brought up the concept of a lot of the Western Conference teams that are either going to be vying for playoff position or jockeying for play-in spots are going to be relying on older uh, stars. And I think that's an interesting point to drag across because, you know, the Kings, they're playing with, with, with house money. But on top of that, there are no expectations. The Kings have already exceeded expectations already this year by leaps and bounds. Um, 
at the same time, you got a bunch of guys that, that don't really know any better that are young, just coming into their own, like uh, Sabonis, Mon Curter. These are guys that really haven't had, you know, the ability to thrive in those kind of situations. And, you know, they're just going with the flow, racking up win after win. So hopefully they can continue down that road. And we've had this conversation, I think, about Davion for the longest time where it's like, you know, what do you do? And I think, number one, not just for my own bias, um, it was smart to keep Davion because, like Liz and I have talked about in other spaces, you know, the the floor shrinks in the playoffs and the possessions get longer and the fast break opportunities don't come as much as they did earlier in the season. And so you need defensive stoppers. So yeah, while Davion's offense this year has given a lot of people pause to say, you know, it's, it's, it's not where we thought it would develop in the year one, two or three, the defense is always going to be there. Um, the defensive intensity will always be there. That's the one thing that you can hold your hat on when you, when Brown puts Davion on the floor, you know, above everything else, you know, five points, 20 points, he will play defense and he'll play hard. And I think that's so key for the Kings going forward. Um, because like you said, you know, it, the West is only going to get tough from here. Durant's coming back. Kyrie torched us, you know, on those back-to-back nights on Friday and Saturday of last week. So you're going to need as many defensive people as possible um, to show, slow down some of these guys in the West. But um, it's good for the team to get a break. Really interesting to see what – there it is. There's that that tweet. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see – what this team can do going forward on the back end of the season after the all-star break. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you think about it, these teams that have these aging stars, they're so behind that none of these guys could actually do a um, load management game. They have to play every game. You know what I mean? So it's not like before where they were like the fourth or fifth seed. They're actually scrambling to just make the play in. So, or at least to stay in the play in. So, all these stars that they got and all these newer players, um, you know, it's like the Lakers. They can't load manage at all. They can't sacrifice a game. So I think that'll be interesting as the season goes on. Um, Liz, who do you think the coach of the year candidate is going to be? I mean, who do you think the coach of the year is going to be? I mean, I don't want to sound biased, but obviously Mike Brown. I mean, especially if this team gets into the playoffs, not the play in the playoffs. I think he has a great shot at winning it. Um, I would also say uh, Joe Missoula from Boston Celtics. I mean, people can make the argument that, you know, he got handed the keys to that job and everything. But at the same time, you still have to show up to work every day and you still have to, you know, teach your philosophies and coach the guys in the locker room. So, yes, he may have already had a talented roster, but he had to make these guys buy in to, you know, his philosophies and his coaching styles and all that stuff. So what he's done with that team is really impressive, especially after all the drama behind the scenes. So I definitely think he's obviously a coaching um, of the year candidate as well. And then I would probably say, you know, if the Denver Nuggets could stay in the top seed of the West, I would say Mike Malone definitely has a chance of that as well. I think Mike Malone's obviously a great coach. The Kings should have probably never let him go when they did. Um, but he's just always kept that team kind of relevant. Um, obviously, you have Jokic, I understand that, but he's just kept that team up there every single year that he's been there. So obviously, I think he definitely has a great chance um, in that you know discussion as well. 
And then I, I think those would be my top three, honestly, just those three for me. I think that's right. I, I like your list, but then it's like, do voters who are the people who vote the coach of the year, I mean, do they care about the narratives as far as like Mike Brown has the best narrative, new coach, oh, 16 years of no playoffs brings them to the playoffs. Uh, doesn't have mega stars on his team. Um, he does now officially not mega stars, but he has two all stars, but it's like most people didn't expect anybody from Sacramento, right? They didn't expect the Kings to do anything. We were scheduled to be what? 33 wins, 37 wins. So it's like, come on. Um, the narrative for Mike Brown is the best narrative you could put oh, out there. So if they want a feel good story. You pick Mike Brown. Um, Keith, what's up? Yeah. And, and I would, I would also, I'll, I'll go two parts here. Number one, I think that, you know, there were a lot of people when Mike Brown got the job that said, bad fit. It's not going to work. They, they, I mean, if you really know the, the NBA like that, people were saying great hire. The people who really weren't locked in or tuned in like that said bad hire, not going to work. Throwing out a bunch of, of inaccuracies that we know now not to be true. Um, from a basketball standpoint, I think it's been a great fit for him to get to coach these young guys. Um, you, we, you've seen on multiple occasions that, you know, the, the, for the longest time, the, the problem the Kings had was that they didn't buy into the coach. That the, the coach wasn't getting either the respect or the acknowledgement from the team and vice versa. Um, the closest anyone got before Brown was Jaeger. And while they did have a little bit of success with Jaeger before he departed, clearly Jaeger was just seemed to be um, if you're going off the bad side of Jaeger, I think he kind of ran him into the ground. Um, and it was just kind of like wearing them down towards the back end of that, even though they played great. Um, but he has a way of connecting with these younger players where, you know, a lot of people said when Ham got the job in LA, they said, well, he, he's going to command the respect of the team because he played the game. And I think Brown's done a great job of just, you know, re- getting their respect, getting them to play hard um, in a short span of time. I would also, though, second part, I would also throw out this, and it probably won't happen, but I would put Jacques Vaughn in the coach of the year category. Um, Nash gets thrown under the bus early in the season, gets fired. He has to deal with Kyrie and 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 Durant and all that toxic crap. Um, pretty much Ben Simmons at this point, you know, I feel bad for Ben because I think, honestly, there is some mental issues with him. And it's gotten to the point now where they can't even put Ben Simmons out on the floor as a rotational player. It's gotten that bad. And so he lost basically – I don't think he really had Simmons, but he basically lost Durant and Irving in a span of like a couple months, gets thrown into the job. Oh, by the way, the Nets are the fifth seed if the, if the season were to end today at 34-24. and 24. And so I think from a standpoint of everything that he's had to deal with, yeah, I mean, you can make the argument, Missoula, you know, like Liz said, you still have to play the games, and Missoula's done a great job. Boston is far and away the best team in the league, in my opinion. 
Um, but from a BS standpoint and dealing with all that craziness and all the stuff that he probably didn't ask for when he got the job, Jacques Vaughn definitely would get a, um, I guess you could say, empathetic um, vote from me. But selfishly, you know, we all hope that Coach Brown gets the job. But, um, you know, hopefully Mike Brown is recognized by a lot of people, which he is in the, in the NBA circles, um, and they vote for him for Coach of the Year. Yeah, I can see your Jack Vaughn scenario, totally. Um, David, I apologize. What's up? Thank you for your patience. Oh, all good. No problem. Um, so, like, yeah, I agree that uh, that Mike Brown, I think, definitely deserves. I think the league does care a lot about narrative, so I think he's probably going to be the front runner, depending on how our season ends, right? Like, depending on if we're – I think we'll still be in top five. I think one thing to keep in mind about um, – you know, when it comes to these other teams catching us, you have to remember also a lot of these teams are playing against each other. So like, right. The Clippers have three games against the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies aren't out of the woods yet either. Like it's pretty much the Nuggets are the only team that seems to be pretty safe with their position. Like not perfectly, obviously, but pretty safe. So, you know, there's a, I think two through five, maybe four will like, we'll be seeing that range given what's left of other teams. I'd love us to steal the second seed. I think that'll be very difficult and very unlikely, but you know, I think, yeah, I think it, I just had see it. It's really hard if we keep doing what we've been doing all season. Right. And there's no reason to assume we won't. Um, I think it's really hard for teams like the Clippers to catch us. Dallas is going to be figuring things out for a while. And then sure. The Suns are going to be really good. But that's kind of the only team I'm looking at that can reasonably be a good chance of catching us. So, yeah, I think we'll still be in top five. Uh, and also, like, just out of curiosity, I know I kind of, I think I asked this one last basis, but um, since, like, Fox is supposed to be in the All-Star game, but there's, like, a picking thing, who, between Giannis and LeBron, who does everyone think is more likely to pick Sabonis, and who do you think is more likely to pick Fox? Or do you think it's going to be the same one? David, like, I'm, you... go what? ahead, finish. Yeah, because I think like LeBron would pick Fox for uh, no Sabonis first, and I think Giannis would pick Fox first for odd reasons. <laughs> so I'm just curious. You think they'll be petty with each other? Like, oh, you're you got a king, I'm gonna take a king. Um, well, I think I think they'll be no, I think it's tactical. I think they'll think, oh, we can't have those two guys on the same team. I I might have a hard time winning here. <laughs> That's amazing. And David, I, I really think you hacked my Mac because that was our next question. So thank you for the segue. Perfect. Um, Naima, what team do you want to see Domas and Fox on? Well, I'm the biggest LeBron fan, so I'd love to have them both on uh, LeBron's team. But I do like Giannis, so honestly, I wouldn't mind if they were if either or were on, were on um, Giannis's team. But I would love to see Fox play with LeBron, to be honest. Yeah, I would I would say I would like them to be picked um, by LeBron. Um, also, part of me, because I like competition, would like to see them each picked by the other, you know, opposing teams. So they're each on a different side, because I just think it'd be funny. Because I just, I saw this video pop up on my Facebook timeline. It was when they were in the bubble and we were playing Indiana. And uh, Sabonis was guarding Fox. And Fox, like, broke his ankles and went right by him and dunked the crap out of the ball. And I just thought that was like the greatest thing ever because now they're obviously teammates. Um, so yeah, either or, but uh, it's going to be interesting now because Giannis got hurt tonight. So I'm curious to see what's going on with his injury. 
Um, does not look like he's probably going to be playing. His wrist looked pretty bad, so that's also going to be interesting heading into All-Star Weekend. But yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see them get picked um, opposite of each other. I hated seeing that it, right before the All-Star break. You know what I mean? So hopefully he's okay. Tanvir, what do you think? Uh, what I think is, can we imagine if if uh, all if we see Sabonis, Fox, and Halliburton all on one team? I think that would be pretty funny, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know what? I thought about that. I think the coolest scenario would be Tyrese. Tyrese giving Fox an oop. You know what I mean? Like Tyrese to Fox and then maybe Domas kicking out to um, Tyrese for a three. Something like that. And I'm sure if if, uh, Tyrese and Sabonis got into the pick and roll, I I think that would be crazy as well. So, yeah, we'll see. There's a lot of scenarios that I want to see. Like I want to see – I want to see Herder in uh, one of my mutuals, uh, a Portland fan. He was like, oh, man, it would be great if, if we got Dame versus Herder in the finals of the three-point contest. And I'm like, hell yeah. And then yeah. somebody else mentioned, oh, well, what if it's Buddy and Herder? And it's like, I don't care about Buddy. I, I really don't. Yeah. But yeah. if it was Herder and Dame, I think that'd be incredible. Keith, I actually saw um, – real quick, sorry, Keith. I actually saw someone did, I think it was like on the score, um, their Instagram page, a guy did like a, like a sim thing of like who he thinks is going to win the three point contest. And he actually predicted, I think Dame and Kevin Herter to be final two. And then Kevin Herter was going to win. So I was like, I like that prediction. So hopefully that's uh, the true prediction. Cause obviously it's always good when we see a Sacramento King, uh, win a contest like that. I'll Go take ahead, that. What's up, Keith? Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge LeBron fan, obviously. And and Fox, I believe, signed to Clutch Sports uh, before this year or during the season. I could be wrong. But uh, I think LeBron will pick Fox. Um, and I'd really like just for somebody to pick both of them and just put them on the same team and just have like a five-minute, you know, kind of window to where they run that pick-and-roll action at the top of the key like they've been doing all year. I just think that'd be really cool to see. Um, I think Sabonis will go before Fox because Sabonis is going to be in that mindset, like he always is, where he's not going to look to score a lot. Obviously, guys are going to be scoring left and right, but Sabonis is, just, I think, going to be throwing crazy alley-oops to a bunch of these guys who are so athletic. And, you know, we might see some trickery from from Savvy. You never know. Um, but I think because he's such a great passer – they're going to be just like, it's like seeing a, it's like a pit bull seeing a, a raw piece of meat. They're just going to want to take the guy and, and hopefully they can create some magic out there. Um, You know, and, and you bring up the conversation about the three point competition. Um, It's so weird because Herter, you know, for the last couple of weeks, um, I, I didn't really notice it because, you know, listen, shoot or shoot. So he's going to miss his fair share. I don't care how great a, a, a shooter you are, but I think that video of him practicing in Phoenix, the way he was working the ball in the corner pockets bodes well, because a lot of guys, you know, that are, are great shooters, they can, they're like microwaves. So they're, they can get streaky at times. You know, if one doesn't fall, it just spirals into that competition until you miss three, you miss four. Um, and if one drops, you know, you can get hot. And I think Herter is one of those guys where consistently his mechanics will always shooting the basketball 
put him in a position to win a competition like that. Um, and he's great from the the uh, the wing as well. Um, and so if he can just dominate those corner racks and those wings, um, I think he's at least got a chance to at least get to the semifinals. Um, I I desperately need Kevin Herter, and this is just selfishly. I desperately need Kevin Herter to win this competition against Buddy Hield in the finals. I know all you guys are saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We don't really care about Buddy. It matters to me, damn it. Because I just, you know, it's me versus the whole damn state of Indiana right now on Twitter. It's going to be me versus the whole damn revenge. state. Revenge. I revenge. That. Revenge. No, you know what's I'm funny? For everybody in the state of Indiana. Literally, you know what's funny? Like, I used to be like a huge buddy fan, like huge. I used to be defending like King, uh, him from like Kings fans and everything. And I spent like two hundred dollars on that. Uh, like, I think it was like it was a Sacktown jersey. So now I can't stand him. I booed the hell out of him in that Indiana game. <laughs> so it's like I I feel you on that. <laughs> well, it's like. A lot of people, they crapped on him, right, in his last season here. But it's like, and I'm not defending him. I'm just saying, I don't think we could really blame anybody for their performance under the Luke Walton era, right? Like, it's like, who could actually perform at their best and hit their averages under a non-existent offense? So it's like, I don't really blame him for that. I'm not mad at him for anything other than just his character. You yes, know what I mean? How he acted a fool in that last year and mm-hmm. made his comments and shaking hands with other owners before games. And it's like, exactly. come on. Dude. Honestly, so it was, over. yeah, it was never about how he played. Cause again, you said like who, who's going to blame anyone for the way they play under Luke Walton. Trust me. I, I wanted Luke Walton. I never wanted Luke Walton. Then we got him, but um, it was definitely like you said, his character and he was, how he was acting in the locker room and stuff like that. Like, I never understood it because Buddy never seemed like that kind of guy. And then it suddenly everything changed and he was like that. So, Which is why I think Keegan Murray is going to be a monster because his first year in the NBA, he, his, he gets to get coached by Mike Brown. You know what I mean? Like true yeah. master of the game shit, earning his black belt, his master's degree in his first year of, of basketball. And I think <laughs> rookies are usually fortunate when they have a good coach like that, not, not all rookies get to have a yeah. coach to and teach I think, them the game. Yeah, and I think also when, like, I really liked, like, uh, Jaeger as our coach. Like, I I was kind of upset when we fired him because um, he – I think he did the right thing by benching Buddy, him coming off the bench. I think it was perfectly fine for him to do that as a coach, and then Buddy didn't like that. I think that's truly when it started, where Buddy was, like, acting up. That I think when he got benched is – everything went downhill um, as uh, someone in a Kings jersey. So, yeah, it was just – it was unfortunate to see. Chef Murray, welcome. What's going on? Yo, what up? Uh, not a whole lot. Just just listening in. What have you guys been talking about? Any scenarios you want to see in All-Star Weekend? Um, I want to see Keegan obviously have a good game. And then uh, – just want want uh, Darren Fox to be able to get showcased to everybody. So hopefully he gets some good minutes. And then uh, three point contest is just, I'm just glad we get to watch it. Watch one of our guys in it. Yeah, this will be the first time in a long time that I'm actually going to be watching every day in every event, right? 
Yep, that's what I was telling my wife. It's like, yeah, we get to actually watch the All-Star game this weekend and enjoy it, so it should be dope. Even the rookie game, like, Keegan's team is loaded, so I'm excited to watch them. Hell yeah, yeah, there's some good-ass rookies this year, too, so it's just going to be good basketball all weekend. 100%. Um, So ESPN posted this, and they were saying, they asked, who would win a one-on-one tournament? Just the All-Star selections, though. Who do you guys think? Kyrie. Anyone who's really good with the ball, like ball handling skills. Fox. I feel like, any, yeah. I don't know. I would say someone like Donovan Mitchell or uh, Kevin Durant, of course. You know, or like you said, somebody who has handles, somebody who has a three-point shot. Uh, that's the only thing about Fox is that his three-point shot is a little streaky. So I, I'd probably go with somebody who's... Uh, I mean, is there any do. rules? Are there any rules? Because... Would it matter? You just blow by everyone. <laughs> well, they could just fall back about seven <laughs> feet and just wait till he drives. Because uh, I don't know, but he might kill him with the mid range. Liz, what do you think? Yeah, the, I was gonna say, um, like probably Kevin Durant. Uh, I think Devin Booker too. I mean, Devin Booker's just deadly from that mid range, and he could shoot a three and get a bucket. So I would say De- uh, Devin Booker as well. Um, Kyrie, obviously, yeah, I would agree with Donovan Mitchell. Um, it's crazy. There's so much talent in the NBA. Uh, I don't think I would say Luca because I just don't. He's just too slow to like play a one-on-one game. I feel like, and I like, I don't know. I feel like he'd get probably blocked quite a few times. So, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't want to see Luca in a one-on-one game. I just don't think it'd be as entertaining as uh, everyone else would be. And before Keith gets on, I, I just want to add. I, I was looking at the roster. I was like, oh, we forgot about Pascal. Pascal Siakam's going to lock somebody like Luca up, and he's like the perfect size to almost guard everybody. Um, so, yeah, I, I would put money on Siakam as well. So, Keith and then App. Welcome, App. Appreciate you coming through. No, you know, Liz actually took my, my answer with Devin Booker. Um, but I would say, um, besides Booker, uh, I'd pick Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum has from the time he got into the league until now uh it, it's it's impossible to say oh uh, a guy who as a rookie was a, a great player is an even better player but Jason Tatum I just think he has worked on his game night and day I think his jump shot at least from the mid-range especially three-point range but I think from the mid-range has climbed leaps and bounds He's always been a very athletic, um, I guess you would classify him as a small forward. Um, but his ball handling, I think, is up to the task, the point where, you know, not saying he wouldn't run the risk of getting clamped or, or picked by a guy like Kyrie, but I think his athleticism for his age and obviously his height and wingspan is just off the chains. Um, and I think that he's done a tremendous job of expanding his game so I could see a scenario where a guy like Jason Tatum um, would potentially win that. Um, yeah. Yeah, not only that, Jason Tatum's defense has like improved tenfold since he came in the league. So, yeah, that's that's a very, very interesting pick for sure. App, welcome. What's going on? Yo, what's up, everybody? I, I mean, I'd probably say Durant if he wasn't injured because, I mean, a 6'11", just monster. Like, there's nothing anybody's going to do with that one-on-one. But – if I had to, if I had to put my money on it, I'd probably go with Shea, just for the fact that he's six six. 
I mean, he's a taller point guard. His bag is super deep. I mean, most of the time he's scoring in isolation. I mean, if you think about when he came to Golden 1 Center, I mean, a lot of his buckets were not for just pick and roll isolation. Let me just pick my matchup. So, and his mid-range game is pretty good. I mean, his three is okay, but if I want a guy that's just going to give me a couple dribbles, bing, 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 great to the rim or into a mid-range, I'd probably go with Shea. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, did you say Ant Edwards too? Or was that just in my head when I'm looking at his picture? That would probably be my third choice just because Ant is so explosive at the rim that it, if he gets by you with his first step, that it's probably over. So I'd probably go Durant, Shea, then uh, Ant. And we're forgetting about Paul George, guys. I'm just going to say it. He's solid defensively, and he has a bag in his own right. Uh, streaky, though, I think, from long range. You know what I never understood? The hate that Paul George gets. Because he's like an – I mean, he shouldn't have been an all-star. Should have been over – Fox should have been over Paul George, but whatever. But I see so much hate of Paul George, and I'm like, I don't know. That's just Clipper that. fans. Clipper fans, uh, sometimes they, they see Paul George – quote-unquote, playing with this food, just getting a little too fancy with it, and um, like, they say he's not the best conduit. So I feel like he's one of, the, one of the best like two-way players. Like, no, could, seriously. Could. And that's why I think we take him for granted, because we didn't even mention him. But uh, I think he's yeah. one to look out for as well. For sure. So, go ahead. No, I, I think... You know, I'll take the high road on that. I think that out of the last 10, 15, I guess you could classify superstars in the league, I don't, in my honest opinion, I don't think there has been maybe two or three more that have come up short the way Paul George has in the playoffs. And, you know, with the amount of help that he's been given, um, I don't think, for, in my honest opinion, I think it's different for both of those guys because Kawhi Leonard, will always have the finals against Golden State, where he basically just willed that Toronto team, had some help, but willed that Toronto team to the championship. Um, he did not play good in the bubble, and especially in that Denver series, obviously. But, but Paul George doesn't have a championship. He doesn't have an NBA Finals appearance um, to hang his hat on, on his resume. And I think a lot of people, the way – they went out in the bubble in that game seven, especially against a Nuggets team. They they night and day should have beaten even before then. I'm so bitter probably, about that, by the way, because I yeah, really I, did want to see Clippers Lakers man in the bubble. I think you know a lot I mean? of people. Yeah, no, I get that. You know, and, and and I think a lot of people still hold that against Paul George. So it's it's one of those things where Clipper fans, especially, say, "Okay, yeah, I, this is all good and well, but until we get to the postseason." And they, you know, I guess you could say um, make good on, on the promise of what that press conference was when, when Balmer got up there and said it was a great day and this is the beginning of a new era. They really haven't accomplished anything. So until that happens, I think they're always going to hold that over Paul George, fair or not. Um, so I just think that, that will never change until they actually get to at least the conference finals. So people hate on Paul George because he's a choker? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it is how it is. Yeah. I'm when like, they, okay. When they make up the list of, of the, the 10 best. He's still a good sp- player, though. 
Yeah, when they make up the list of the, the 10 best small forwards from 2010 to 2020, Paul George will be on that list somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know how it is, right, Liz? Writes a bonus. It's it's about what have you done for me lately. It's about the championships. Yeah. I think that's why you kind of see guys move the way they do because they know at the end of the day, look, look Kevin Durant, people can say what they want about Kevin Durant piggybacking on Steph Curry and Clay and um, the Warriors. At the end of the day, they will look at Kevin Durant's resume and they will say, two championships until no one's going to remember the details you know what i mean and even at the end of this season you already know kings fans are going to be disappointed that we didn't win the chip it's going to be weird because they're going to get super greedy about it and uh i think that's funny uh tanvir and david before meg gets on um any thoughts on who would win a one-on-one tournament between the all-star selections i think dave has a good shot he has a pretty good handle in my opinion I just feel like he would just go to the logo and just shoot threes, and, and might, he might win that way. I totally get that. Maybe Curry also. If if he was if he wasn't injured, sure, he always has a shot, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard because of the fact that like right, like how many points are you playing towards? Because <laughs> if you're playing towards a lot, yeah, it definitely favors someone that's more of an outside shooter, and because you're gonna get more shots. I wouldn't completely count out Giannis. I don't think he has the handles, but he does definitely have the size and the defense. It it depends on your matchup. I don't know. Kind of like it would depend. Do we do like round robin or we do we like, you know, a bracket system, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, it's matchup dependent, right? Like, because um, I would pick Joel Embiid if it was like, if he, if he was in a pod of just yeah. bigs because he could just back people down if you wanted yeah. to. Uh, but then he could shoot from the outside too now. So, yeah, it's yeah. tricky. It's a good question, though, for sure. Meg, welcome. What's going on? Oh, I was just kind of wanted to like comment on the Paul George thing, and I think it's two things. Um, number one is he's been inconsistent in the playoffs, um, you know. But number two, I just wonder. Like, I was thinking about this with LeBron too. Like, I feel like LeBron's hero arc has like kind of dipped, like into villain at times you know and and paul george a little bit too like not as much obviously he doesn't have as high a profile or anything but and i wonder if part of that is like you know either you know kind of giving up on the team that drafted you or like asking for a trade i just wonder if that affects how people view you in the long term i mean you know i I, I view loyalty as like this great quality, but then you look at somebody um, who stays somewhere forever and never wins anything. And I guess that's considered like a negative in the NBA, but, but somehow to me, that seems like the good guy thing to do. So I just wonder if that has something to do with it too. No, I think people who feel that way are in the minority, unfortunately, because I, I think really most people, they like those pile on teams where they just collect a bunch of, collect a bunch of stars and, they just want to see domination from, yeah, p- uh, players like that and teams that are just loaded. But, yeah, I don't – I think it's that. You know, if you're with a team that's supposed to win and then you don't, people are going to hold that against you for a long time, especially in a major market, right, with the Clippers. So, yeah, it's really tricky. Naima, what's up? Um, it just – you saying, like, LeBron and the villain – the whole uh, villain thing – um, there's actually this documentary on, I think it's on ESPN Plus, I'm not sure, I don't know if it's on HBO Max now, but 
Uh, it actually talks like LeBron's friends and everything talk about like how when he went to Miami, like he completely changed who he was, and it just wasn't like authentic to who he was. So he kind of laid back from that um, after he left Cleveland. Um, but dang, I forgot what I was gonna say. But yeah, that was that was basically what I was um, thinking about. But the whole loyalty thing to a franchise. I don't think any player should really be like be respectful about it and everything, but like a franchise would trade you in seconds if they really wanted to, unless you're someone like LeBron. I feel like that is like the only player that in this generation that like that wouldn't trade. Look at what happened to Kyrie Irving at the Nets. Like he wanted a bigger contract. Um, uh, The owner said, Nope, I'm going to trade you. I mean, I'm not going to give you that. Uh, contract so he was like okay well I'm gonna be traded now and I just I don't agree with the whole loyalty to a franchise because look what happened to Josh Hart look what happened to Harrison Barnes like you can run down a list of how many players got traded um and they found out through the internet so well for me it's it's are the franchises loyal to them like if we didn't have the beam team this year I would not blame fox at all for wanting out oh, it's no, like no, well you guys never built around me right that's what i'm saying you know what yeah. i mean so ineptitude mm-hmm. you get no loyalty i agree so, i agree with that yeah and even dame to a fault it's like yeah. ah, they never built around you properly because exactly. i've never believed in in two great guards winning the chip i've always believed you have to have a good big and a good little or a good wing mm-hmm. and a good uh guard you know what i mean so mm-hmm. Him and CJ, that was fun, but it was never built to win shit to me. Yeah, because I, um, I have like, I've been a fan of the Minnesota Lynx for a while, and I remember in 2019, Simone Augustus, she gave like 14 years of her life and like everything to the Minnesota Lynx, and she ended up actually leaving. I don't. It was never revealed why she left, and she actually ended up leaving to like a rival team. So for her to do that, I'm like, something must have gone on. And there's, again, no one knows what it was, but people started questioning her loyalty. And I'm like, she gave us 14 years, like she gave 14 years to the Minnesota Lynx and she gave us four championships. And if she felt like she was wronged in some type of way, then she has all the right to leave. Like, that's how I felt. But a lot of fans, man, we still like, I mean, the fans still love Simone Augustus, like, like she's she's a freaking legend you know so yeah it just left a bad taste definitely in fans uh, mouth after that happened so yeah absolutely app and then keith yeah to speak on that like paul george like i think he gets hated for his time in like oklahoma city right because when he got traded that's when I think when that year Melo came and him and russ had that big press conference and he coined them playoff p before he, like, did anything in the playoffs. And then if I believe that year they got beat 4-0 by Utah, and then the next year they got a series clincher in his face by Dame. So then people are like, how are you playoff people? What have you done besides that LeBron series? So then he gets the Clippers and him and Patrick Beverly kind of running off at the mouth, and then they do all this extra. And I think that's kind of enhanced why people don't really like Paul George. I think he's still a good player and a top 20 player in the NBA. And I'm glad that he's finally just kind of put that to bed and kind of just played his game. But still, I mean, you can't 
I mean, you can't do that. I mean, if you're in the playoffs, you're gonna be playoff, playoff P. I'm sorry, you gotta you gotta be doing something in the playoffs. And outside of that that Miami series, he didn't really do anything. So I mean, hey, it is what it is. But uh, and two on that loyalty front, it's like you think about the players in the last 20 years that have been been with one team, like Kobe, Dirk. I mean, you have to have the talent, right? You have to have the talent that a team wants to keep you around for 20 years. Like, yes, you could be loyal. They could be loyal to you. But if you're not producing on the court, I mean, what's the point of having you around for 20 years? So some of these players I can kind of understand. But, again, it's a business. So I think players need to just kind of take it more in their hands and where they want to go and, you know, kind of be more susceptible to asking for trades and asking for things that they usually haven't because the owners have had more of the – power in the league but I think the times are changing I think every other sport envies basketball especially when you think about Kyrie has to get traded and he gets traded you know three days later like an NFL player can never he's either tagged or you know cut or whatever it is so I think basketball is just such a unique sport and the way the player dynamic works around uh, these years well it's a relationship right it's like the teams have to fulfill their end of the bargain and not be inept and build around them properly and have a coach that's going to succeed. And then the player has to improve as well and be able to like lead them in the playoffs. So it's, if, if those two things don't come together, it's, it's not going to happen at all. Uh, Keith and then David. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, you know, number one, when LeBron James, um, sat down with Jim Gray and, and did the decision. It's a, it's a climactic and impactful moment not to be, you know, overstated or overdramatic in the history of, of American sports. Um, and Bill Simmons actually had a podcast when I was in quarantine. We we're all in quarantine, I guess, where there were, you know, rumors around the league that Stern, when this happened, was pissed. Like he did not want it to go down that way. Because he knew the dynamic was was changed forever. Um, LeBron opened, I think, the path for player empowerment in the league when he did the decision. As badly as it was received and and as poor of a taste as it was um, given to people in their minds, you know, the NBA, like like kind of like you know, at mentioned the the player dynamic is so unique in that, you know. The league is basically, yeah, the owners are billionaires. They they rake in millions from these teams. Yeah, it's one of the most profitable organizations and companies, not just on a sports level, but in the entire world. Um, but it's basically ran by the players. And basketball is such a unique um, sport where you're only getting 10 guys on a floor at a time. And so if you can find or if you draft or if you have in your team – one guy who can affect the game the way that a LeBron James, a Steph Curry, um, a Giannis can, you've got the jackpot because there's so few of them and they can impact the game in such ways where they can basically, you know, you might have a decent team, but if you see like, for example, Michael Jordan in the series when he hit the shot against the Cavs, Cavs had a good team, but they didn't have Michael Jordan. And that is the main difference when you have a guy like that. So everybody wants to keep these guys. They want to make them happy. They want to make sure that they're not rocking the boat. They want to make sure they're not requesting trades because they know 
you're not going to find one of those guys in free agency or the draft. If you're a small market team, it could take years for you to get another player like that. And so the players basically control the league. And I think there's, I think it's a great dynamic when you have guys that, you know, kind of either from the fan perspective, abuse that power or are just treat the organization they're on at the time so poorly to where they basically say, okay, you know what? Fuck you. Get out of our organization. Here you go. We're trading you away. Like at the end, I think the Nets were just like willing to give Kyrie away because of all the drama that he brought, whether good or bad, up to your interpretation. But I think Josiah just had enough of the circus. He had enough of Kyrie basically. And let's be honest, Kyrie might have had one good playoff series with the Nets. And then the rest of it was just a, a cluster of a circus um, to each his own. But I just think that a lot of these guys that, you know, go about it that way. I personally, I love it. You need heroes and you need villains in sports. You, it's like Tony Montana said in Scarface. You need somebody where you can take a look at it and say, that's the bad guy. I love people like Giannis who are humble, come from nothing and work their way to the top and are just so gracious in defeat and victory. But I also love guys like, you know, Kyrie, for example, who just say, you know what? I don't give a fuck what you think about me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do what you want me to do just because you want it. You know, it's my life. It's my career. It's a healthy thing in sports to have heroes and villains. So the way I look at it, Hey, give me the heroes, but give me the guy who's not afraid to do what he wants because you need somebody at the box office that people will pay money to say, I hope to God that guy loses, or I hope to guy that guy guy wins. I'm pulling from you need a good blend of that. And I think especially in pro sports, the NBA does a great job of that marketing, both the heroes and the villains. Well, you need villains, right, to appreciate the heroes and vice versa. You know what I mean? So for every Grizzlies team, you know, we have the Kings. Sorry. Oh, he's gone. There's a Grizzlies fan in the in the space. But anywho, yeah, right on, uh, Keith. David, what's up? Yeah, and like also, as, as Keith pointed out, the fact that the fact of how small teams are kind of is part of the reason why players have so much power. Um, and I think uh, in the NBA is at the end of the day, professional sports is often storytelling. So yeah, you do need that kind of, everyone loves those types of dynamics. I, I do think one of the problems that you get with guys like Damian Lillard, for example, was that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum were always kind of second fiddle to Curry and Clay. And that's not really their fault. Curry and Clay are probably, you know, Hall of Famer kind of players. And that's just hard to beat when that's, when you're basically that, but a couple of steps behind. And that's the thing that can sometimes be tricky when players are like really loyal to a fault is that you can be stuck in a situation where it's like, you're not going to get past those guys because that team has these two. But yeah, I think, um, you know, the NBA kind of has two of their favorite stories. It's always the rise and the fall story to some degree. And I think Paul George has the problem of being part of the fall story at this point, because it's been season after season like that. And so um, that's kind of downside. So far, we're on the rise story, which is nice. So hopefully, we can keep that going. But it is it is what makes it tricky. I think I think teams have a ton. Players have a ton of power because it's fewer players, and that generally can be really good. It leads to interesting moments and leads to really entertaining things that can happen with how teams can change quickly. So, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Before I get to Meg. Our next topic is going to be your takeaways from the next week of games, which is really just Portland and the Clippers. 
um, followed by uh, a home and home just at OKC twice. And then we do have a home stand with uh, Lakers in Minnesota, but we'll just talk about next week, Portland and the Clippers. But anywho, before we get back to that, uh, Meg, what's going on? I, I, don't, I don't know if I talk about it a lot, but you know, I left a fanhood because they traded somebody who I love. They traded my favorite player and it was like an organic thing where all of a sudden I could not root for them anymore. They were like the villains. But it's so funny because right now that the Kings are good, I'm really enjoying like hate watching everybody else and like praying for their downfall. Um, and and that's also fun. So I like you like I think David just said like heroes and villains are necessary and they're a part of the fun. So Meg, you're just like me. I hate watch too, especially college, <laughs> especially college basketball. I am hating on everybody. It's very funny. I always have fans in my mentions when I'm talking shit about like Tennessee and Notre Dame. It's 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 so much fun. No, nothing makes you feel better when your rival loses. So if USC loses and UCLA wins, that's like the best weekend ever. It's it's a great exactly. sports weekend. You know what I mean? The thing with UConn is basically everyone is our rival because they're the standard, right? UConn's win 11 championship. It used to be Tennessee. Then we knocked Tennessee off their rocky top. So, <laughs> Well, and not only that, because Memphis has talked so much shit, just seeing them lose is a beautiful exactly. thing. Exactly. Well. Exactly. Like My goodness. So, Liz, <laughs> what you, what's going on? What do you think about the next week? Yeah, I mean, I hope you know, these guys get a good rest. Um, obviously the guys that are going to the all-star weekend, there's going to be a lot of, you know, stuff going on for them with, you know, media practice, all that stuff, but hopefully it's fun. Hopefully they get kind of like a mental reset and enjoy their time there. Um, but also take care of themselves as well. Um, and then the rest of the team that, you know, staying back, hopefully they, you know, do what they need to do, go see their families or, you know, go on a vacation somewhere and enjoy it with their couple days off before they got to get back to work. Um, but yeah, I'm just excited to see this team just keep growing together. Um, you know, hopefully they can come back and kind of respond well, you know, after the all-star break and not look a step slow. Um, I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, these guys continue to um, improve on the bench because I think that's going to be a real key, you know, down the stretch, um, you know, of us making a nice playoff push is those guys on the bench being consistent. Um, you know, we've obviously seen the pieces with, you know, Malik Monk, Trey Lyles, you know, those guys kind of step up. So hopefully they can continue to do that. And hopefully Malik is not out for too long. And hopefully he's back, you know, right at the first game after the All-Star break. But yeah, I'm just excited to continue to watch this team. I mean, it's fun. It's competitive basketball. That we watch. So even, you know, when we're in it, we're watching a game and they kind of get down a little earlier, you know, anything like that. Like, I don't doubt this team. I think, you know, they have, they've shown us that they can come back from, you know, a big deficit. And, you know, obviously we don't, we don't want to see them do that, but, they can do it, you know, in past seasons, it was kind of like, oh, they get down by 15 games over kind of thing. And now it's like, oh, they get down by 15, but it's the game's not over. Like this team can quickly, you know, put some stops together on the defensive end and come back, you know, rather quickly with just how fast their offense is and how well it runs. So, yeah, I'm just excited for these guys to, you know, hopefully get a nice recharge and, uh, you know, push for this uh, playoff run and, you know, stay within that sixth seed and, you know, show people what the Sacramento Kings are made of. So for you guys, when would you be worried? Would it be if they lost three in a row, four in a row? When would you be like, huh, oh, this regression is really real? I think I would it's say, more so. Oh. Oh. 
Um, I would just say maybe it's not more so about the losing. It's more so about how we come out. Like if we keep coming out slow every game, like I just don't want to see that. Cause like if we lose close games and like we really, you know, we can't buy a bucket, we're doing all that we can where the effort is there fine. But if it's just because we're starting out slow, cause that's what most games are. Like we always in the first quarter, I don't know what happens in the first quarter. We just don't play well. So it's more so that of course, if we would lose like five, six in a row, I'm like, okay, what's going on? But yeah, it's more so of how we actually play and how we start. And by the way, if you guys want to look at uh, the next games, uh, I did put up Chase's uh, analysis, I guess we could say. Uh, it's the second dot in the beam unitron, so check that out. Um, and I do have some words about that, thoughts about that. Keith, what's up? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you look at the schedule, um, Portland, I, I feel like in my heart of hearts, and I don't want to over-exaggerate this, but I feel like in my heart of hearts, that first game back against Portland is a must-win. Because what you're going to notice on the schedule is they're going to play Portland, and then they're going to go on the road against the Clippers and then play OKC twice and then come back home on March 3rd and play the Clippers again. And number one, I think that Oklahoma City, the record doesn't do them justice. They're a young team, but they're an exciting team. But these guys can play. They got Williams, the Jaden the Jaden twins. Um, I've always been a fan of Josh Giddy. Love his game. Obviously, they got SGA. He's a monster. So the the Thunder are not going to be some lay down. And then you factor in, you know, the Clippers obviously are the Clippers, and they're starting to hit their stride in the back end. So, you know, th- these first five games are not going to be gimmies. And I think that's why it's so key that we keep harping on this. You've got to take care of the wins that are supposed to be done deals. You've got to take care of those and lock those up in the box in the W column because you just don't know what's going to happen. The West from one to damn near 12 is every night you're going to be playing somebody with talent. You're going to be playing somebody that has the ability to knock you off the perch. Um, And they're not going to take the Kings lightly in the second half. They know what the Kings bring to the table by now at this point in the season. Um, But I think Naima brings up a great point. The, The Kings, the Kings, kryptonite is when they do not show up in the first quarter and get their doors blown off and come out lackadaisical. They've done it a couple more than a couple times and it's put them behind the eight ball on countless situations this season. Um, and I think teams have that recipe where it's like, if you're going to play the Kings at golden one, you've got to take the crowd out of it. You've got to get them on their back heels in the first quarter and you got to get them playing from behind when the Kings are in a groove and they have like a four, six point lead or it's tied offense, obviously one of the best in the league, but there is something about this team, even though when they play are playing bad, they just continue to keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. But if you, like we mentioned, when we saw the Toronto game, when you get out to a 12, 14 point deficit, it is so taxing to try and come back, not even just to tie the game or retake the lead, but just getting the game back in a single digit of a deficit. And so I think that, like Naima said, it's it's not so much, listen, if they go on a four-game losing streak like they did to start the year, we got big problems. 
because you cannot have a four-game losing streak at this point in the season in the Western Conference, the way it's going to be going. But it's more so going to be about if they're dragging ass or if they're not giving the maximum effort that they're capable of giving, like we've seen on countless nights. That's when you know we have a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm looking at Chase's thing. And I'm glad that he didn't do the big mistake of, oh, these are easy wins. You know, there's only two lines where they're green. But then I also believe in scheduled losses either. I think every game in a one-game series is almost like 50-50. And yeah, on a sliding scale, maybe it slides a little more towards uh, Milwaukee if we're on the road. Maybe it slides a little towards us if we're at home. But it's like anything can happen in a one-game series. You know, I always talk about variance in the other space. And I don't know. I think all these games are must-wins. I don't believe in should-wins. I do believe in, like, yeah, we're favored a little bit, but we still got to execute and play our game. That's how I see it. So in the next two weeks, you know, the only thing I could ask for is that they compete, and hopefully they'll be 500 or a little better. Um, I think the last seven-game stretch on the road, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, we're going to go five and two, and it's like you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And I always said four and three, and I think that's what they came back with. So hopefully that's what happens. Liz, Naima, any thoughts? Yeah, I just think, you know, I think Mike Brown had kind of said this, is the team kind of focuses on, you know, five-game stretches. And if they could go three and two in those five-game stretches, I think that's awesome. I think that's perfect for this team to get to the, you know, where they need to go. Um, So, yeah, you kind of, obviously you take it game by game, but I love that he kind of, you know, said five game stretches is kind of what we look at. And that's kind of what we base everything off of is those five game stretches. And then we move on to the next five. So I think if the team can, you know, do a three, two and each of those five game stretches, I think that's really huge. And, uh, you know, that's obviously going to be on pace for sticking in the top six seed. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. I can't wait. You know, I, I like the all-star break because it gives those guys a rest, but also it's boring because there's no basketball on. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited for them to get back from the break, hopefully well rested up and just come out guns blazing. Naima, what you got? I mean, Liz said it perfectly. Uh, I hope this can give a bit of rest to everyone. I know Fox and Keegan, Kevin. Oh, wow. We have a lot of players in all-star weekend. That's nice. But yeah. Um, also I hope Malik can come back. I feel like he's like our one good spot, our bright spot off the bench, him and Trey Lyles. So. Just hopefully Malik's ankle. Was it his ankle or his knee? Because I don't know which one it was. Um, I think it was ankle. ankle. Yeah, ankle. See, yeah. So I hope it's nothing too serious and he can rest that up because, yeah, ankle injuries suck. So final thoughts. Um, You mentioned the interpreter, the ASL ASL interpreter at the Super Bowl, Naima. I was wondering, though, since she was doing, uh, was it the same person that did Rihanna's halftime show? Yep, it's the exact same person. I really wish they put some Fenty um, gear on her just to make the show complete. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, because she was killing it. And she was yeah. like, uh, apparently she's like really popular on TikTok as well. I didn't know that, but yeah, she was really killing it. Yeah, I've never seen anybody uh, do it like that, but I, I still wish she was put outfitted. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, so before we go, we're about to go in about two or three minutes. Uh, I do want to round Robin. If you guys want to speak and, and, and join in this, it's a very simple question. I, I know the Super Bowl is over, but I want to know your two must-haves for a Super Bowl party. 
and I'm not talking about technology. I'm talking about food. All I care about is the spread. Um, and we'll go around. I'll call your name, get on the mic. If you just want to say what you want and, and get on the mic and, and, and uh, bounce, that's totally fine because I want to call everybody. I want to know. Or you could leave it in the chat. Naima, what are your two must-haves? Definitely pizza. And then you need something to drink. So any type of like soda, soft drink, anything. Um, okay, my... well, let's assume we're going to have drinks. We're, let's assume we have oh, alcohol okay. and all that. Just let's <laughs> talk about food. Okay, okay. So pizza and, like, do you mean food food? Because then I would just say pizza and chips. So. Fair enough. Now, with those chips, do you need just chips only or do you need dip? Yeah, I don't like dip. That's disgusting. I'll just take the chips straight up. All right. Well, you know what? Props for pizza. Uh, let's go! I would definitely say that. Liz, what's up? Well, I love meat. I'm like, I can never be vegetarian or vegan. So 100%, you got to have wings. Any type of style, I don't care what it is. Wings all the way. That's like number one. And then two, you got to have a good dip for any chips or any like spinach dip or anything like that. There's got to be a good like homemade, not store-bought crap, homemade like a six layer bean dip type of situation. Like you got to have that kind of stuff. So yeah, chicken wings and dip. Right on chef Murray. What do you got? Yo, I just got a, uh, a pellet grill. So I'm going to have to say pulled pork sliders and jalapeno poppers fire. Check you out. You're so fancy. My goodness. Um, What's up, man? The only time I hear about pellet grills is, when I used to listen to Rogan, you know what I mean? But that's awesome. What's up, man? What's up, bro? Hey, Nick. How's it going? Nick, uh, I'm going to get to you, okay? All right. What's up, Keith? What's up, Nick? Why not like to be? Dude, so, okay, real quick. Did anybody else hear that clip about Nick with Rihanna and the crotch on 1140? That was fucking hilarious. Yes. I died. That was great. I died. Okay. I... I'm a firm believer that you need to have queso dip, specifically queso dip, and it's got to be hot. And if it's not hot, depending on the, where I find myself, uh, I will do the liberty of heating it back up. Just pop it in the microwave, 15, 20 seconds. You put a towel over that thing. You're right back to where you need to be. You stir it up. You stir it up like, like James Harden in his prime in Houston. You know, You stir that thing up, and you're good to go. Um, and then I would say round table pizza. Um, if anybody knows Sean Holko, um, he's a, he's a writer, one of my, my best friends. We had a radio show at Jack state and Sean and I watched every Niner playoff game this year or, uh, yeah, this year. And I did the Liberty of getting us half cheese, half pepperoni. And it was good until the Eagle game. That was like our, our, our streak thing or whatever, but half cheese, half pepperoni, um, and then yeah, I'm I'm but a round table pizza and then queso dip heated, maybe lukewarm, but heated nonetheless. Must be a little bit of uh, heat coming off the dip. You know what, man? I don't meet too many people who give shout outs to round table. And I, I grew up on that. Guinevere's delight or whatever, all their little names. Like I discovered Linguisa. Sean. At, at round table you know what i mean that's like the greatest pizza meat ever and nobody talks when we about were, it. and uh <laughs> when we were in college sean had two jobs primarily he worked at round table pizza so i got half off on pizzas 
and I used to smoke a ton of weed. I I I, I calmed down now because my TV career, but used to smoke a ton of weed back in the day, and would go to roundtable, and Sean would hook it up. And then Sean had a job at fucking In and Out Burger, and he almost got fired one time because he gave me a free milkshake in the drive-through, and the manager saw it. And I had to come in there and tell the manager not to fire my best friend because he means well, and I didn't want the shake. <laughs> no, I, I knew a kid who worked at Roundtable uh, deep in like Riverside Boulevard in, in Greenhaven, and he got fired for eating cheese like an idiot. So that's my Roundtable pizza story. Um, before we get to Meg, Chef Murray, you have your hand up. What's up? Yo, sorry, it's a little off topic, but I saw uh, Keith got blocked by Katie. What what happened with that, bro? He oh, he just got back on. <laughs> Keith, you have intel on the story. What's going on? I'll I'll hit him up another time. Yeah. I- I have nothing wrong with Kate, but uh, I think she didn't like the fact that I said that I thought Barnes was probably a better fit for the, the color job. But, you know, to each his own. But um, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, we were, we, were, we were good friends at one point. So, uh, But the heart will go on, as Celine Dion said. And maybe that's another topic for another podcast. Yep. I just want to hear the gossip. Thanks. That's a, oh, wait, Keith, so you said dip. And, and what, was the, what was the other thing? Round table pizza. Uh, but I'm a native. Right. I just talked about. But it. I'm Jeez. a native El Grovian from Sacramento, so Lampost Pizza. I think is the best pizza of all time. I grew up on that stuff. Round table sounds pizza sounds good. It sounds delicious. I hope you get some this weekend, Nick. I really hope so, Keith. Can you buy me some? Well, <laughs> Meg, what's up? What are your two must-haves? I don't watch the Super Bowl. I watch halftime, and that's all. Uh, I don't get-togethers, like... then. <laughs> Me and Meg are the same person, because I don't really watch it either. Yeah. I oh, I was watching. Mary. Yeah. I, I was just there for the I halftime watch, show, I was looking forward me. to Rihanna. because I. Yeah. So, okay. your two must-haves, Meg? If I was going to make food, I would do something really fancy, like in, you know, some kind of, like, uh, Probably like a focaccia, feta, fig, arugula, prosciutto, balsamic reduction kind of thing. And I usually I cook Italian if I'm cooking for company. I'm a fantastic cook. Um, So maybe like a roast of like a stracotto or something like that. So that's, that's what I usually do when I have company. But I don't for football. So, so what Kings you're saying Media. is we're coming to your house then, Meg, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kings Media asked that question when they were walking in the building. And shout out De'Aaron Fox for saying Oxdales, because that's some shit that I would do for sure. Um, David, what are your two must-haves? So this is going to be kind of odd, because I used to, back years ago, when my friend's birthday was, clo- was close to the Super Bowl, and I lived in for closer to where he lived, I'd go to his place during... Um, the Super Bowl. And so it was usually like, yeah, wings and like some sort of um, either jalapeno chips or chips with dip and then cake after the game. So it's those things mixed in. But yeah, um, so all the other stuff also would be sometimes in, but definitely those two things. Uh, you know, I love that you mentioned something to satisfy the sweet tooth. I, well, I, I dig that. Awesome. We had cake because it was his birthday. So we had to have cake. <laughs> 
Yeah. If, if I had to add a sweet tooth element, uh, then it would probably be brownies or cookies. Something simple. No, yeah. Nothing too fancy. Well, yeah, I have a very big sweet tooth, so I love sweets. <laughs> Same, man. It's a problem for me. Uh, Nick, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I do have, you know, the, the big unit for NBA All-Star Edition. I, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like this is going to be good. Don't mess the bunch is going to do good. Fox is going to do good. Kevin Hart is going to do good. And also, you know, um, Keegan Murray is going to do good. You know, everybody else is going to be doing a good job in All-Star. And I wish him luck. And I wish Foxy brings back the MVP. Oh, man, that's a tall order. Nick, who do you want? Do you want Fox and Sabonis to be on the same team? Or, or do you want them to be on separate teams? The same team. Who do you think is most likely to draft them, Giannis or LeBron? Probably, I don't know. Probably, I, I think LeBron. Because he, he got beat by them so many times? Is that why? Yeah. Right on, right on. Well, Shannon, thanks for coming through. Royal Rebounds, what's happening? Justin, Jamie, thanks for coming through. And, and shout out to everybody who came to speak or Royal to listen. Rebound, Royal Rebounds, why not like the beam? Hey, Royal Rebounds is actually going to be sending me the light the beam shirt, actually. So, you know, they are sending me the light the beam shirt. Royal Rebounds is. That's so nice. So I do want to thank Royal Rebounds for doing a good job in sending me the shirt. But, you know, I I do want to – Royal Rebounds did say to me that they're going to come to the game in the p- playoff game. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all are. Um, Naima and Elizabeth, any last words? Yeah, I'm just going to say this is a – I've seen it as a – like I saw it as, a, I think, a tweet. And it was actually like something. Right, right, I, right. Sleep beams, sleep dreams, sleep, sleep dreams. dreams Nick. Um, but I saw a tweet, and it said, and I don't know if I'm going to get crap for this, but it said Rihanna has better hits than Beyonce, and I thoroughly agree with that. I'm sorry, like she really does. I love Rihanna's music. So when she did her halftime show, I literally knew every freaking song. And at one point, I thought she was going to bring out Jay-Z because I knew Jay-Z was at the game because they had posted a picture of him and his kid. And so I thought that would have been cool on one of her songs because she sang a song that Jay-Z does a part in. So I was like, that would have been cool if Jay-Z popped up. But I was happy that she didn't bring on any guests as well. Um, I thought that was awesome that she did that. But yeah, I think that was like the hottest take, I think, of the weekend. Um, Somebody tweeted it and said that Rihanna has better hits than Beyonce. And I actually agree with it. So I'm going to end on that note. I don't even think that's a hot take. I, what? I, I think that's fair. Wait, 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 wait. I'm Everyone, not saying I agree. I'm just saying yeah, I think, that's I think, not so much of a hot take. Yeah, I don't think it is. I mean, they were both popular at the same time for so long. I mean, one person is releasing albums now, but everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. It's okay. I will say, though, a Beyonce halftime show doing Renaissance would blow the roof off. <laughs> I mean, I, I that would be crazy. I'm going to her tour, so that is I cannot wait. My goodness. Well, you got tickets? Yep. What? What city? Um. So we, I, it's like our backup city because it's in Vegas, but um, because San Francisco and LA is basically impossible to get tickets at, 
especially LA. So we'll see. You say no, like Vegas is a bad man. thing. Like, oh, I, we got to go to Vegas. Like, <laughs> Vegas should be your number one choice, honestly. Exactly. Like, Vegas should be the number one freaking place like, to go for a concert. I go in Cali, I don't have to pay extra for like a hotel and stuff, you know? Well, that's hey, man, true. This is, it's worth it, though. How often does she go on tour? You yeah, but I mean. you gotta go to Vegas. Vegas is like Vegas. Yeah, I'm sure it's great and all. I have zero interest in Vegas, but like it would be nice. I because w- I went to the you're Ongo- with the wrong people if you have zero interest in that city. <laughs> I have zero. I'm interest. serious. I'm not even playing. I if you're at the white crowd, every, everything Vegas is popular for, I don't care for. But see, that's, that's the thing. you it's- don't know what. Uh, seriously, <laughs> we'll have to have a discussion later on. Because yeah. there's a lot about. of things to do in Vegas that aren't like club scene related. Like I don't yeah. drink, yeah. and I loved Vegas. No, seriously, yeah. my wife and I we go to Vegas for food. No Which, joke. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No, because I went to on the run tour uh, in at Levi's. That's a 49ers stadium. Yeah, so that was freaking amazing. I would love to go to that stadium again. Like that would be incredible. SoFi Stadium is where she's gonna have like five shows. So that's going to be incredible as well. On her birthday, one of them. So I'm just excited for that. That I really hope I can get tickets to that one. Yeah. All right, you guys. We appreciate everybody who came through. Uh, I think we're going to head out. So we'll see you next week. All righty. Hey, that's a group hug. Group hug. Y'all did a hell of a group hug. Yeah. Group hug. Hell of a job. Why, Daddy?